Well, welcome. If, if this is your first time with us and you're like, all right, what's, what do we do now? Well, I preach for seven hours. And so I want you just to lean back. If you're watching online, get comfortable. And, but no, no, no. We're multiple locations. Hello, East and, and West and RCMU and online folks. And we've been talking about, uh, it's, a, it's a basic question in life. It, it's actually a, a normal question, but, it, but it's a question that, that really is a big deal. Why am I here? Most of us have wondered this at some point in our lives. Most of us have, have processed, you know what? I think life is, is more than just like waking up and then going to sleep later and waking up and going to sleep later and, and all the weird stuff in between. And so we've been talking about why am I here? And the Bible gives us, uh, I think, awesome details on this. And, and here's one of the areas that we thought gave us direction on this. It's this one. Share each other's burdens and in this way obey the law of Christ. If, if you're unfamiliar with this, we talked about this even last week in the law of Christ. Love God with everything you've got, like passionately, and, and just go after it. And, and to do that, love God and love others, and all that, share each other's burdens. It's not actually crazy complicated, this thing called life. <laughs> but you and I, if we're going to actually live life in a way that is actually on purpose, other people's burdens need to matter. You know that. I know that. And that's what's brought about the Wells conversation we've been having as a church. This conversation that Jesus actually started, just so you know he gets credit. He was at a well talking to a woman about uh, regular water, but then turned the conversation and talked about what you and I really care about, eternity. You and I care about what happens to us, not just uh, during our life, but after life. And he began to say this very, very simply. That if you want to satisfy the true craving you have in your soul, Jesus. And you were born with a craving for him. From, whether you recognize it early on, some of us did when we were real young. Some of us, well, we're a bit more stubborn. And, and it carried on and later on, then we recognized, you know what, I think I, think I need Jesus. Jesus loves you. It's a basic element. We've heard it. In fact, sometimes when a pastor or someone says Jesus loves you, you're like, uh-huh, I know. But it doesn't resonate. You and I have got to own that. Jesus loves you. He really, really cares about you. And so we as a church have decided, okay, if Jesus said that he, if, if he satisfies the craving of joy, peace, forgiveness, mercy, if what you and I are wanting really in life, he satisfies that, and he says that he's got the well for that, well, then if you're a Christian, you not only accept that, but you walk that out and you share that. I mean, it's like something's good news, great news that you don't just keep to yourself. You, you, you pass it on. So we as a church, if you missed last weekend, you probably have already heard rumors. But if you haven't heard the rumors, you will hear the rumors. We laid out a plan this last weekend full of details about what we're going to do and how we're going to, in essence, dig wells. Wells, opportunities for people to know who Jesus is. We're going to put wells of Jesus all over the place, out in other states and even locally. And it puts us at a place in life. Here's our greatest threat. Here's where I ended last weekend's sermon. Our greatest threat as a church is an unwillingness to dig new wells. Let me help you understand if you're, I don't know if I want to talk about church yet. Let me help you understand something very, this is, this is in all of life. If you've been in a relationship, that's called a dating relationship, where you recognize at some moment, maybe the other person didn't, you're like, we should not be together. But then you realize, but we've been together for so long, I'm just going to keep going. An unwillingness to maybe move on. Maybe you've been at a job 
that you know is not the job for you. It's not the right job. But you just stay there because there's a bit of a, a security net there. Churches do this all the time. Words like, well, this is how we've always done it. <laughs> so we're going to keep doing it this way. Some of you, this is your family. Like, why do we do this when we get together as a family? Like, because we always have. Well, there's some danger in just doing what's always been done. If you only do what always has been done, you often miss out on the answer to why you and I are here. So, if you want to know, there's a, it's not a secret, but it's important that you know that what's going to keep you from living your life on purpose? What's going to keep you from actually doing what you need to do here on planet Earth? I can tell you if you'd like to know. <laughs> it's a bit of a question for yourself. Here it is. Um, will I or won't I? I mean, I face this when, when I see a donut. You with me? Okay. But we know that this goes to a bit more of a a difficult choice when, when you know you're supposed to do something, but maybe on the other side is some fear or, or the unknown or, or I've never done it that way or, or there's just this, ah, will I or won't I? It's a fact I think every day, I think, I think every single day, you and I face major decisions. We might not call them major decisions, but they are. You and I face these moments where it's like, will I do what I should do? Or am I going to back off? I, because I enjoy YouTube too much, uh, I, I found a story that I thought went after this in a, in a very creative way, a memorable way. So as I talk to you about will or won't I, uh, well, take a look at this. Skydiving is a really interesting confront with fear. <laughs> I gotta stand up, I'm sorry, I gotta stand up. You go out the night before and you, you know, you take a drink with your friends and somebody says, yeah, we should go skydiving tomorrow. And you go, yeah, we'll go skydiving tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, and you go, yeah, and everybody goes, yeah. And you go home by, you by yourself, you're like, hmm. Right, you're like, well, yeah, I mean, they, they was drunk too. So then that night you're laying in your bed and you just keep <sighs> And you're terrified. You keep imagining over and over again jumping out of an airplane and you can't figure out why you would do that. So you get there and then you have this safety brief and you're standing there and the guys will tell you, well, if the chute doesn't open, what's gonna happen is you're doing, you, well, why, why, what could happen? <laughs> So you get onto the airplane and you're sitting there and, and you know, it's extra because you're sitting on some dude's lap, some stranger, <laughs> trying to make small talk. Yeah, man. You know. So you do, you'd, be, you'd be jumping with people all the time, huh? <laughs> so you fly and you go up to 14,000 feet and somebody opens the door. And in that moment, you realize you've never been in a freaking airplane with the door open. <laughs> terror, 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 terror. And then people start going out of the airplane. And the guy walks you up 
to the end of the thing and you're standing and your toes are on the edge and you're looking out down to death. They say on three. and he pushes you on two because people grab on three. And you fall out of the airplane. And in one second, you realize that it's the most blissful experience of your life. You're flying. There's zero fear. You realize at the point of maximum danger, is the point of minimum fear. The lesson for me was, why were you scared in your bed the night before? What do you need that fear for? Everything up to the stepping out, there's actually no reason to be scared. And then in that moment, all of a sudden, where you should be terrified is the most blissful experience of your life. And God placed the best things in life on the other side of fear. I love it. Now, I don't love skydiving. <laughs> but I love what this brings up. Again, and I'm sorry if you weren't with us last weekend, but I shared about the different cities that we're going to put churches, the different locations that we're going to launch, some of even the things that we're changing amongst ourselves, how we're changing how we've been doing things. And it puts many of us in this state of mind of going, will I be a part of this or won't I be a part of this? Will, will I go after this even though it's uncertain? You know that if you've been a part of this church or if you want to be a part of just living your life on purpose, you are facing this uh, open moment where, where it's time. I think it's time. Many of us are delaying these moments. Will I or won't I? I think it brings up something that you and I wrestle with. Our own will. The thing that you and I put into charge, Right? The thing that governs from how we eat and how we treat others and how we respond to life in general, we begin to let our will run the show. And Jesus, oh, Jesus knew that you and I would constantly battle with this will taking over. And leading us to places and moments and catastrophes and selfishness that would not promise what we thought it would give us. And that whole idea why I'm here becomes all about us. And some very smart person one day said, well, what should we do about that? <laughs> and let me show you something Jesus says you're familiar with. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. May your will. Ooh. May your will. Some of you grew up saying the Lord's Prayer. Maybe in different wording, but this is from the Bible. And, and Jesus, Jesus, if he's going to say, hey, here's a way to go about praying. You should say, I'll accept that. And he says in prayer, in other words, this daily time with our creator, he said, you're going to have to talk about who's in control, whose will. In fact, 
in our prayers when we talk about God, I choose your will, I choose your will, I choose your will. Let me teach you a secret that we don't often talk about in church. The scariest and most fulfilling decision in life is to surrender your will and choose God's. That's the reality of it. That's the truth of it. A lot of times I know, like, hey, you know, if you just follow Jesus, I mean, it's pretty much a cruise the rest of life. Huh? It's a daily looking at what you want, but going after what God wants. And if you and I want to actually live our life, this life, however long you and I get, if we want to make this life matter and impact and influence to where one day we're standing in front of God, God's like, well done. If you want that, then you have to leverage these moments and know that you and I will face fears and we'll have to choose will I or won't I. But here's the problem is most sermons end with that. Choose will I or won't I. You're like, well, how do I do that? Like, how do you want every day, how, every day, are, did God leave us anything that's tactical? That's what I'd call it. That's the how-to. How do I actually live my life out? What do I need? Well, let me bring you into a story I've been referencing through the whole series. It's a group of people who were in slavery for over 400 years. In fact, it's so popular that those who don't even believe in God and like God have done movies about this where there's a whole crew of people in slavery for over 400 years, God frees them out of Egypt and begins to lead them to what's called the promised land. Now, along the way, after being free, he gives them a, just a short set of rules, but, but then begins to say at this moment, after they're free, they're going to live free. This is awesome. He says, all right, now I've got a plan for you. I want you to do something. And he tells them what he wants them to do. Literally, to the detail. Some of us are like, I wish he'd do that with me. <clears throat> he did. He tells them he wants them to build a, a tabernacle. A place where they can go worship him. And he gave them very sp specific instructions. He gives it to Moses. Moses passes it on to the whole group of people. Hey, everybody, here's the plan that God wants us to do. And I thought I would bring you to that moment in history. Let me show you their response. So, after hearing the plan, so the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. It's not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing at all. Here, let me, let me give you an example. Uh, here's what they did. This is going to weird some of you out because some of you can't see me. And this is just now we're in the weird world. If you don't know this, the last weekend I talked about a plan. A plan that I think God has given us very specifically. Very specific towns and cities. Specific things to do in Rapid City and even beyond. And all of us, I know this by fact because the security cameras say it, we all left. We all actually left the facilities. And we likely returned to our tents. That's not bad. That's not bad. That's not bad. But the plan was meant and designed to what I believe to change our entire region so that the entire region would know who Jesus is. And most of us know that you can't change a world if you stay in the tent. Would you like me to show you what social media looks like? This. Hey, there's a problem. Hey, there's a problem. Ooh, I like that. Click on that. 
Is this not life? Where we go to our tents and we stay in this almost isolated, secure environment. Oh, but we got, we're looking, we're looking, we're looking. And we have opinions about whatever you would like. Well, you don't even have to ask for our opinion. We'll still offer it to you. <laughs> is this life, right? This isn't just social media, by the way. This is work. This is school. We go to our tents and we're like, uh, we heard the plan. We, heard, we know what we're supposed to do. And many of us don't know. Listen, listen. And I'm not, I'm not hating on anybody. Many of us don't know how to get out of the tent. We just don't know what to do. Meanwhile, God gave us a plan. He's like, not only am I going to tell you what to do with your lives, show people who Jesus is. Well, that verse, let, let me finish this first. So the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. You may have missed the whole community. All, all whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. Let me, let me give you a, an observation about what this tells us. Doing what needs to be done requires people. Do you notice that God did not say, I got a plan. This is an awesome plan. Will you find one person to do it? I'm just showing you what he didn't say. He didn't say, I need a pastor. No, he he made sure that the information hit the community and invited this posture of multiple people accomplishing this plan that God said do. And you and I are not good at community, even though I'd call it a necessity of life. Let me take you to the beginning of the Bible. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. Amen. I will make a helper who is just right for him. And since this moment, what we know throughout all of the Bible and all of time is that you and I are born with a need for other people. Some of you are, are great at it. Some of you aren't. Many of us are trying to accomplish our purpose on this planet all by ourselves. And unfortunately, in our world, in our culture nowadays, it's easy to live isolated. You can get things delivered to you. <laughs> you can have things come to you. You can actually, some of us can even work from home and you don't have to interact with people and you think, this is amazing. But you need people. And God's plan requires people. And I thought, I thought I'd give you some examples of how some of us are approaching this community thing. One is you're, you're, being, you're an avatar. If you don't know what an avatar is, uh, it's, it's basically where you've created a fake you and that's what you present. It's, it's in essence a, a fake representation. It doesn't have to look or be like you. It's what you want to be or what you dream of being and that's what other people see. It's, it's behind it. You've got secrets. You, you, you wish that you could have a, a healthy relationship, a supportive one, an encouraging one. But you know in public you got to kind of put in front of other people, oh, but this is, life is amazing, it's perfect. But you're craving people. I'm just trying to show you a dangerous way to live because if you live this way, if people don't actually know you, do you understand that when you go into a crisis, you have nobody it's not about some ploy that the church does, like, hey, we say you should be better together, and we want you to be in groups. It's because we all need them. We need relationships. 
And some of us are approaching it this way where we're not being honest, we're not being authentic or vulnerable. We're saying, hey, um, here's what I think you want to see, so here you go. And that's dangerous. Others of us are being what I would call simply a fan. We're like, yay! Where you're championing, uh, maybe it's work, or maybe it's church. Maybe you're like, I love, I love Fountain Springs Church. I love what they're doing and what they're a part of, and, and I'm really excited. And, and on the weekends, you get pretty amped up about Fountain Springs Church, but then the rest of the week, you take the jersey off, and it really doesn't matter to you. See, many of us are trying to make a difference even through the church, and we're a fan of what the church is doing. But I don't, I don't see evidence where God said, hey, here's what I'd like you to do is just be a fan of me or just, just be a cheerleader. He wants you and I involved. That's the kind of person. In fact, here's a way to look at how to, how to, what kind of a person to be. Be a bat in a cave person. Yeah, see, I've got kids in the home, so I'm just going to gross some of you out. If you don't know what a bat in the cave person is, it's someone who points out that you have a booger in your nose. You're looking at me like, can we talk about this in church? I think we ought to. Have you ever had coffee with someone or been with someone or, or worked throughout the day and then eventually you go to the, the bathroom or somewhere else and you find a mirror and you're like, oh no! They've been staring at a booger in my nose all day long and no one told me. Some of you are pretending like you've never experienced this. It's just someone didn't tell you. I'm not telling you you and I ought to point out all the bad things in someone's life. Don't, 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 don't be that person. But we ought to be close enough to each other you ought to have enough of people in your life. It doesn't have to be a big group of people, but a group of people in your life that you can speak truth to and that they can speak truth to you. Let me show you some wisdom in the Bible that speaks towards this. Wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. You can have people who will tell you, yeah, you need to wipe that off your face. Are you saving that for later? Or you could have people ignore it and say, you know what, I saw it. It's going to embarrass them, but I'm not going to bring it up. I know this sounds a bit elementary at first, but I'm going to tell you this. You and I have got to be a better group of people being honest with each other and encouraging each other, helping each other. When you hear, when you hear about a need or you know someone's walking through stuff, don't be like, well, I don't know what to say to them, I, I, so I'm not going to say anything no with a sincere heart you become a sincere friend never ever ever dig alone as we talk about digging wells for people as we talk about living our life on purpose never dig alone i'll tell you something um, we have an incredible woman in, in our church. Uh, she often serves as a greeter when she's able to be here. Her name is Dee, and, and, and she's going through a pretty tough season of life. So I was recently uh, talking with her, just seeing how things were going, and, and, and she's going through a, a tough time. You know, what, you know what she told me? She said, you know what? I couldn't imagine walking through what I'm walking through without the church. And, and she wasn't faking it. Just so you know, she wasn't trying to even appease the pastor. She's like, and, and she serves, and she's like, if I didn't serve, I wouldn't know certain people. And, 
Everyone's been so encouraging and helpful. And, and she's like, I, I couldn't imagine doing life alone. Do you know that that's what many of us are trying to do right now? Accomplish life isolated. And I'm just trying to give you a tactical way to go about life. You need people. You have to have them. And if you don't have them, you're going to fall and no one's going to be there to pick you up. But, but you don't just go into the tent and then walk out of the tent empty-handed. You got a friend like that? You got a friend who, oh, they, they, they'll come to you. <laughs> Completely empty-handed every single time, no investment, and take, and take. So here's, here's my next observation. Doing what needs to be done requires sacrifice. Don't be the person who's like, oh, I got tons of friends, and I just go to them and go to them and go to them. You can't change the world that way. You can't do what God wants you to do just being around a group of people. You don't show up empty-handed. And so I thought I'd bring you back. Let me, let, let, me, let me take you back. So the whole community of Israel left Moses and returned to their tents. Okay, you got that. All whose hearts were stirred and whose spirits were moved came and brought their sacred offerings to the Lord. Do, Do you notice the change? So the whole community, if you're like, what does that represent? Um, everybody. So the whole community left all whose hearts were stirred. Why doesn't it say, and the whole community came back with... Because that's not how life works, is it? No. Here. Everyone usually reacts, but not everyone responds. Oh, we react. <laughs> oh, we're, have, you ever, have you ever had a moment where you, you heard something and, and, and you're, what, what we say, our heart was tugged for it, right? We have this moment where we're like, oh, that, that's... That's sad. That's a reaction, okay? That's a healthy reaction, frankly. To be moved by something that should be changed, that should be adjusted, to react. There's a healthy reaction. But many of us do not then respond. A respond requires a physical interaction. Now, a response is like, not only am I going to emotionally react to that news, I'm going to respond. I'm going to do something with this. In fact, here I want to read you something. Uh, you don't need to look this up. It's, it's a, I'm going to read you a bunch, okay? But uh, in Exodus chapter 35, I, I, want, I want you to hear what they did. Because I think it, it means a lot. Let me, let me just, let me, let me read this. All who were willing, men and women alike, came and brought gold jewelry of all kinds. Brooches, earrings, rings, and ornaments. They all presented their gold as a wave offering to the Lord. Everyone who had blue, purple, or scarlet yarn or fine linen, or goat hair, ramskins, dyed red, or hides of sea cows brought them. Those presenting an offering of silver or bronze brought it as an offering to the Lord. And everyone who had, who had acacia wood for any part of the work brought it. 
Every skilled woman spun with her hands and, and brought what she had spun, blue, purple, scarlet yarn, and fine linen. And all the women who were willing and had spun the goat hair, they brought that. The leaders brought onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastpiece. And, and they, they also brought spices and olive oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. I think you're getting a picture here. All the Israelite men and women who were willing, who were willing, who were willing, all the Israelite men and women who were willing, not all of them, all of them who were willing, brought to the Lord free will offerings. No one forced them. You got that? No one forced them. For all the work the Lord through Moses had commanded them to do. Huh. Here's what's pretty cool. You notice what they didn't bring? Bugs me. They didn't bring any bulldozers. It totally would have made sense, but they didn't. No, they, they brought very specific things. And maybe if this is your first time with the Bible, like weird things. I want to I show you something. What, what happens when a, when a community says, you know what, we're not just going to react, we're going to respond. Let me show you a number. $132,368.73. This is, this, is, this is a massive amount of money. If you were a part of our church during the Christmas time, we talked about a Kids Matter offering that we were going to do. And we challenged anyone and everyone who wanted to participate. Free will. No one's going to, you know, hack into your bank account or do whatever. It's just like, uh, this is up to you. Whatever you want to do, we shared. Here's a plan. We're going to go after this and this and this and this. If you want to, be a part of it. We didn't put a requirement of here's how much you have to give to this. And I wanted to show you because some have asked, what did we as a community do? Well, this was the response. We've now been able to give checks. Well, this one, Bethany Christian Services. We've been able to give another check to the Abbott House because you responded. Because you chose to say, you know what? I don't just want to leave the tent. I want, to, I want to have an impact. And you understand the power of sacrifice. We have yet to even give away all the money we're going to give away. We've already begun even some of the renovations in the kids' areas at West and at East. That's what happens when a group of people respond. And don't just say, well, I'm not sure what I think about that. In fact, let, let, me, let me give you a very, very good truth. God won't ask you for something that you don't have. Let, let me address the weird stuff, okay? Because uh, some of you, you, you should be weirded out. Like, okay, God has a plan. And it involved, it appears to be yarn. And you're like, I didn't expect to change the world with yarn. Well, they were, they were building certain things that God said, here's what I want you to do, and, and you're going to piece this together, and this is how this is going to look, and so you've got to put all this together. And so, so they took what God said, and, 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 and again, they didn't bring bulldozers or, or phones, or they didn't bring weird stuff. They brought what God said, here's what you need to bring if you've got it. So they did. And many of us, we don't give to God. We don't sacrifice. We're like, I don't have enough. I don't have enough. That's not true. It's not true. You can be offended by that. Or accept that God will never, ever, ever ask you to give something that you don't already possess. That would be cruel, would it not? 
for God to say, you have to do this. And in the back of his mind, he's saying, I know you can't, though. That sounds like a cruel God. And it would be, and it's not true. In fact, let me tell you what he asks of you. It's called the principle of the first. What God has asked since the beginning of time, this is, this is not caught up in law or, or legalism. If you don't know, what the, the, the first murder was about this, if you want to know like how extreme this is, why some of you listening right now are borderline offended, and you're like, yeah, see, I knew it. If you want to know how big of a deal this is, the first murder on planet Earth was over the issue I'm talking to you about right now. That's why some of us feel pressure right now. Here's what it is. Uh, from the beginning, God said, the, whatever you make, whatever you bring in, I want the first 10% of it. And since the beginning, people who are willing have been bringing the first 10% to God. Thankfully, you and I don't have to have it burned in front of our faces anymore. Uh, so since Katie and I were first married, I remember we've been bringing 10% of every paycheck to our church before we ever worked at a church or anything like that. And it's been one of the most physical moments I've ever seen God. But I knew that someone was like, yeah, but you're, no. I want you to hear it from someone who's not me, but the impact of the principle of the first. Take a look. The first time I came to Fountain Springs, um, I was invited by a friend from school. Uh, she had told me and another classmate about it. She was so excited to tell us about Fountain Springs and how great it was. Instantly, I just felt kind of that feeling like I needed to give this church a try. The first time I went, the sermon was on tithing. I remember my friend being kind of nervous, like, oh, I'm sorry. And I, I said, that's okay. And tithing wasn't a new concept to me. I was raised going to church regularly, and I knew all about tithing, but I had never really done it. My dad was a strong believer, and uh, he tithed. Um, I just never really got the feeling like I needed to or I should, and I remember when I heard the sermon on tithing, that, you know, feeling that strong sense that I, this is something I needed to do. I remember going to my dad and saying, you know, I, I have to start tithing. And I remember him saying to me, how are you going to afford that? And now looking back, I, I can really say honestly that I don't know how I can not afford to tithe. The next time that I got paid, I took that 10% and I gave it to Fountain Springs Church. And I was nervous. I didn't know if I was gonna be able to pay all my bills. But from that point, I decided that when I get paid, the first thing that comes out is my tithe because it's giving God back the money that he basically gave me. Everything I have and everything that I'm blessed with is because of him. I had applied for a job and didn't really think that I would get it. I went through the interview. I was hired within a week. And I remember just feeling this sense of just terrified. I had worked at that same job for over 13 years. I wasn't sure where this 
next step was going to take me, but I knew that it was no accident that I was getting this job offer. And from that point, my job just kind of kept rolling into a better, a bigger, better position, um, more income, which was a great relief, um, raising my son on my own. It was very overwhelming to find that God just kept blessing me now. And I knew that it was because I had put all my trust in him. He placed me with a manager that I knew was a Christian. She um, supported me. She still supports me. And I feel very blessed that God has put me with the right people for my career. God presented me with the opportunity of the East Campus opening, and I thought that would be good for me. It's closer to home, and so I became a check-in lead for the kids' ministry uh, when we started at the East Campus. I serve every week. I love seeing the kids and the families and getting to know the other um, volunteers. And I think that tithing and serving um, and being part of the Fountain Springs community, that it just, it fills out my world. I work a lot, but when I incorporate that, the serving and giving and the relationships, it's, it, it just makes a full life. Most recently, kind of started to get to me that I needed to start helping support um, my sister who um, has been incarcerated and I felt like I needed to help take care of her. I kind of thought, you know, is that the same as tithing, but it's not. And even though I want to meet her need, I still feel like I can tithe. But there was a moment where I'm like, you know, God, I need to help take care of my sister. I don't know if I can afford both, but he came through in, in ways I, I can't describe that he just always meets that need. I, I mean, I don't think I could ever give enough to make up for everything God has done for me and my family. Uh, here's what I can promise you, is I'll tell you what God says to do, okay? I'll share with you, not withholding anything. Uh, I promise to not preach to you, afraid of you. And if you wanna know how you and I are gonna live our life on purpose, doing what needs to be done requires people and sacrifice. Not one or the other, both. If you wanna have an awesome marriage, if you wanna have an awesome environment at the workplace. You don't just show up and be around people, you sacrifice. And God said, I, here's what I want. I want anyone and everyone to know who Jesus is. This is how we do it. I've been asked by multiple people already, how are we gonna afford this? How are we gonna have enough people to do this? How do we send out over 20 different churches all over the place, how do we do? So I invite you into this. I invite you into a, a lifestyle of leaning in to people and sacrificing. I love what was said in the story. 
how whoever invited her uh, was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, I'm not. Because she learned one of the most vital parts of life. Sacrifice is necessary as our people. So let me end this way. Will you or won't you? Will you do what God wants done or won't you? You have the will to decide that. Let me pray for you. God, we thank you for the privilege to be a part, to be a part of this plan that you have to get all over the globe the truth, the life-changing truth that we have a Savior. That the one true God loves us, cares about us, wants to be in relationship with us, that, that you don't look at us with hateful eyes, that you crave to be in a relationship with us. God, thank you for that. Thank you for letting us be a part of that. God, I pray that you'll, you'll open our hearts for those who are willfully open to being used by you. God, would you do a work in their lives? Would you provide for them? Would you bring into our lives a, a sense of hope, but also trust in you? God, for whatever you're gonna do through this church and through us, I pray that your will be done on earth as it is all the time in heaven. We pray this in your name.